This is episode 482 of the Leaving Laodicea broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. One of the best ways to soar above the apostasy that seems to be raising its ugly head in the church today is to have a true, passionate, life-changing experience with the Lord. Now, we're not talking about memorizing more scripture or doubling your time in prayer, although these things will help you experience God more. And we're not talking about growing in your knowledge of the Lord, if that means knowing him as we know, say, for example, George Washington or Abraham Lincoln, you know, all history and facts and personal doctrine and theology. What changes your heart is to experience God in a personal way where he speaks to you and you recognize his voice. But how is that done? How do we experience God and why is that even important? Today, we'll look at how to experience God as we learn how to leave Laodicea behind. verse that I want to start sharing with you is, of course, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We're going to look at this in a little more detail. But it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has, God has, in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, to whom he also made the world." I shared with you when we first began a little bit about the great apostasy that's taking place right now. And one of the things that keeps us from having this great apostasy is the fact that we have to have an experience with God. One of the contributing factors to this great apostasy is we have many people that claim to be Christians but have never experienced God. Now, don't get me wrong. They may have experienced Him when they got saved, but from that point on, it's just up to them to try to make do the best that they can. In other words, they understand the doctrine, they understand theology, they have chosen a certain bent of Christianity. I want to be a Baptist, I want to be Reformed, I want to be a Charismatic, I want to be a Presbyterian, I want to somehow align myself with some sort of group out there. I'm going to adopt the doctrines and teachings and and creeds of that particular group. I'm going to study the Bible on an academic level so I can understand the facts, be able to quote some verses, be able to pass or do really well in Bible trivia games. But as far as actually having God speak to me, having some sort of passionate relationship with him, that's something that maybe happened the day and the day after I got saved. But since then, um, it's kind of gone. That's why I continually talk about a scale from 1 to 10. 10 being the time when you are most intimate with him, when you are full of praise and adoration and wonder with him, when he spoke and you heard his voice and obeyed his voice, is a 10, and all of us have different levels of 10. My 10 is not Susan's 10, because the closest I've been is just for me, and the closest she's been is just for her. So where are we now? And invariably, no matter who I talk to, not only you, but other people out there, I, I can count on one hand the number of people that have told me this year that they're a 10. Everybody is less than that. Um, and I've talked to hundreds of people about this. Uh, an eight. An eight is socially acceptable. An eight's okay in church. If you're a nine, people expect things from you. An eight is 
okay. Seven's not bad either. If you get down to six, six is close to five, and five is when we have that mental thing where, gosh, I need to do something about it, because everybody else is pretty much a seven or a six or an eight, but very few people want to uh, say they're any lower than that, and we're okay with that. I mean, we're literally okay with that. I'm an eight. Well, how long have you been an eight? Well, it's getting better because last month I was a seven. And, you know, I guess like last May, I, I was a nine. But, you know, I just last early part of the year, I was a two. And so I'm okay with that. There's no pressure to be any different. And what makes you an eight or a seven or a six versus a 10? It's not how much knowledge we know. It's not even how much we pray or how much Bible we read. It's how we do it and how we respond to it and whether we obey what it says. There are college professors out there that teach in seminary, seminary professors that have their PhD in New Testament theology who know more scripture than you and I ever will. And many of them are lost. They have no clue of what it's like to experience God because they've substituted doctrine and theology and reading and stories and just understanding for love and adoration and intimacy with him. We never talk about that much in church. I mean, I, um, I probably listen to more sermons than any of you in here, and I find that most of the teaching that goes on is just that. It is teaching. It is This is what the Bible says, and now we've learned a little bit more about it, and we've covered verses 1 through 6, and next time we get together, we'll go 7 through 12, and we're understanding it cognitively, and I'm kind of awed at God's Word, and I may be mystified at how the Holy Spirit works, but as far as applying it to our lives, as far as living righteously, as far as learning how to, to know Him personally... Many churches don't do that. They never did that in seminary. What they did is they basically told you about God, like he was some sort of historical figure, like knowing about Thomas Jefferson, but not knowing him personally. Then some churches, they go the opposite. And they don't teach about how to know God personally either, but what they want you to do is feel something, And so therefore they have gymnastics in church and they get all hooped up emotionally because if I can feel something, even on an emotional level, if I can raise my hands, if I can stand, if I can say, yeah, it's the same stuff we do at rock concerts. If I can do that kind of thing and the music is designed to elicit that kind of response, that's a cheap substitute for intimacy, but it's better than nothing. So what does it mean to experience God? I mean, literally to experience him, to have a, a connection with him, to have him speak to us, to, to hear his voice. I did a Google search, how to hear God's voice. And I must have looked at 40 different sites. And again, almost all of the sites basically took the same bent. You hear God's voice through his word. God never speaks to you outside of his word. That's not true. God never contradicts his word, but he speaks to you, as the verse we looked at, in various ways and at various times how he chooses. But it was so important that we make sure that it's all according to the word, have to study the word. And and as I've shared this example with you time and time again, if you have a decision to make, when that decision is to 
stay here in Atlanta, stay here in Charlotte and, and take this job at Bank of America or to move to McLean, Virginia and take a job at Capital One and you look at them on paper and the cost of living and the housing and the salary and everything seems to be perfect for both jobs. There seems to be some sort of the opportunities for advancement are the same, but you don't want to make a mistake. You don't want to move outside of God's will. And so you pray and you say, Lord, tell me what to do. Which job is your will for me? Is it Capital One in McLean, Virginia, or is it Bank of America in Charlotte, North Carolina? You can read every single verse in Scripture, and there's nothing in there that will tell you what job to take. True? I can't go, well, you know, Ecclesiastes 4.11. Ah, ah, it says Capital One. I'm going to take that job. Now, you read the Scripture, and God will speak to you through the Scripture. He'll impress something on you through the Scripture. He may give you some principles in the Scripture that you can say, you know what, I prayed about it, and I, I just I felt a peace about going. Or I, I felt uncomfortable about going, and so therefore I've concluded God wants me to stay here. Yet if you'll read the Scripture, time and time again, what God would say in a dream or a vision or an audible voice or a visit from Jesus or a visit from an angel, he'd tap you on the shoulder and say, take the one in Virginia. Ah, thank you. Thank you. And we don't even expect God to do that anymore. What we expect him to do is help us make the right decisions because after all, it's kind of about us. We don't want to, we don't want to give our sovereignty over to anyone. But we're living in apostate times. And I don't know about you, but I can't trust my own emotions or my own mind. And if I'm not careful, I will confuse my thoughts and my wills and claim they, began, they came from God because I can convince myself of pretty much anything. I'm the king of rationalization. But we're living in apostate times, and we're talking about the experience of actually hearing God's word. And the question is, why is that so important for us today? Because we're in the declining thrones of the church and Christianity in America today. I have no idea what's going to happen uh, when the Electoral College decides that they're going to declare a president. I would love to think that Trump would give us four more years and they would prove the fraud and have a do-over election or something of that nature. The Supreme Court will step in and you know we'll have another four years of semblance of, or, of order. Or it may be, as Trump has said, that we have all the evidence for us, but the clock is running out. And we may get Biden for president. Have you noticed the things that he's being pressured to do? One of the things is to decertify and take away academic accreditation for any Christian college like Bob Jones University or Liberty University, Christian school like the high schools and, you know, local Christian schools that are going out there or Christian any sort of training facility that needs accreditation, which allows you to get government funds, and that's a whole other issue, to take away any of those accreditations for those schools that refuse to teach science, true science. Well, what science are we talking about here? 
We're talking about science that God created or men were created gay and not gay and it's not a choice and therefore that's what it is and the global warming is confirmed science and all this other stuff they're talking about today. Now they're talking about doing that within the first quarter of his presidency next year. They have decided that one of the things that is standing between them and this national reset, <laughs> you know, um, central bankers and the invisible enemy and powers to be in the deep state, as they call it all, uh, every about 40 or 50 years, they have to have a reset. In other words, they had a reset back in the 40s, uh, right before World War II. They had a reset in the 70s in our nation, where all of a sudden we're, our, our currency is no longer backed by gold. Instead, we have a petrodollar. We can print all the currency we want, and it's not limited to a, um, to a, a gold note. Instead, your dollars say a Federal Reserve note, which is not even a government institution. Now we're having a reset now where everybody, the powers to be, want to move into a digital currency, which they control. They can throw a switch and you can't buy or sell. Isn't it amazing that in the middle of the pandemic, all of a sudden there's a coin shortage? So now all of a sudden those people who like to pay for cash, because when you do pay for cash, there's no record of that transaction, can't really pay for cash anymore. You have to pay more for cash because they can't give you change. So now those of us who enjoy paying with cash now pay with our debit cards and our credit cards, and it's up to the machine and some sort of entity out there that we don't even know that controls whether or not we can buy or sell. We're moving right into the end times, as Jesus talked about, and the church instead of standing firm against something as simple as abortion. I mean, true Christians made the issue about Biden and Trump and the platforms of the Democrats and the Republicans about the murder of unborn babies. And a vast majority, as the survey I showed you earlier, the vast majority of Christians that call themselves evangelical says it doesn't matter about the murder of unborn babies. We're actually going to vote people in office who when you have a botched abortion and the baby is born alive, that we are not even go we're going to make a law that says it's against the law for the doctors or the nurses to give to that mistake, that living life that was born alive after an abortion, whatever takes it takes to make that baby live, get it, it, medical help. Instead, we're just going to set it aside and let it die. And people who claim to be Christians voted for this. I could go on and on about what's happening. We've been, been warning about this for years. But it is amazing. It is shocking. And it's just barreling towards us. Purity of the church is, is almost non-existent. And the fact is that Jesus said that the greatest sign of the end times will not be signs and wonders in the sky, but it will be deception, and he's talking about deception to those people who he was calling to himself, to you and I, to the church. I mean, how does that happen? But you know what? If we actually experienced God speaking to us, it doesn't really matter the message, but if we actually experienced him, you will find that it is, is more life-changing, it's more kinetic, it's more unbelievable than having correct doctrine. 
It's when the Holy Spirit actually communicates with you and, um, and, and you have this encounter with God in this personal way and it's more real and more life-changing than almost anything. And as a matter of fact, if I asked people, what are your mountaintop spiritual experiences in my life? Steve, can you tell us three mountaintop experiences you've had with the Lord? Every single one of them has to do with God reaching out to eternity past and coming into my life and speaking to me about something. Doesn't matter what the message was. Doesn't matter what he said. Maybe it was just for a circumstance that I was going through. But nevertheless, it was the fact that he chose to actually communicate however he decided to do that. Dream, vision, from an audible voice to communicate to me And when that happens, it literally changes everything. Well, I I believe in the Son of God. Okay. But I also believe that I have to live in this world and make my own decisions. And God gave me a mind. He expects me to use it. I have some sincerely held convictions. And all of a sudden, that Son of God shows up in your living room and communicates a message to you. And it's no longer, I believe. It's, oh my gosh, let me tell you what happened. And you hold on to those forever. Well, God doesn't really speak that way anymore. Really? The Hebrews verse. And as we usually do, I'm just going to take these two verses. We're going to slow it down. And we're simply going to ask some questions and see what we can learn from this. Not even going to define words here. This is the word of God in Hebrews chapter 1. And here's what he said. God, not you, But God, what? What did God do? Well, at various times and in what? In various ways. Various times, yesterday, today, tomorrow, 2021, 1998, 1642, it doesn't matter. God, when he wanted to, and God, in the way he chose to, spoke. When? In times past. He spoke in the Old Testament time to the fathers by the prophets. Well, I, I've got that. I see that the you know we have whole books of prophecy here, and I see Moses and some of these other people. So I got that God in the past, in different ways and at different times that He decided what He wanted to do, spoke to the fathers through the prophets. So how does that affect me today? Well, God has win in these last days, right now. Same God who spoke back then is the same God that speaks today, but he didn't speak to just the prophets and fathers, but he now speaks to us by his son, by his son. And all that's involved with that, the promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus interceding for us at the right hand of the Father, the words, the greater things you will do than I did when I go to the Father and send the paraclete, the comforter, the one that comes alongside the Holy Spirit to you. And then, of course, we have this definition of Christ, whom God has appointed heir of all things, and now we are joint heirs with him, according to Romans chapter 8, through whom he made the world. Simple verse. What can I learn? What can I determine about God and the way he speaks from this verse? One, God speaks to his people in the past. Got that? 
And he spoke to them in various times and in various ways. Those words being much and many are many and diverse. Spoke, spoke any way he wanted to. Well, God can only speak to me this way. No, he's God. Who are you and I to put him in a box? We have to be open to however he speaks to us. God has spoken to his people in the past, and he spoke to them at various times and in various ways. In other words, God spoke in incremental and progressive ways until the appearance of his son. That's the definition of this that was given by Zondalus in his word study. Now watch what he's talking about in incremental progressive ways. Now, here's what he's saying, which is true. Theologically, theologically, God's revelation of himself is done in small parts. Individual people got a little bit of the picture. David got this psalm and that psalm and this psalm, and Isaiah got chapter 53, and we have these little pictures of it all coming together in progressive ways that build on each other to where we have this fulfillment of Christ. There's not one person in the Old Testament that stood up and said, here is what God is going to do with Jesus. In other words, it was this misunderstanding because they didn't understand the progressive incremental way of doing that. And when we view this, doctrinally, this is what we say. This is about the message. God speaking the message. And God spoke his message in small little incremental sections, and they want to build upon each other. And we find in you know, Genesis chapter 3 that you know, he'll crush his head and the seed of the woman and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and women don't have seeds. It talks about the virgin birth. And, and so we see this message. It's all about the message. What? But that's not what we're going to talk about today. It's not about the message God gave. It was the experience of those people who actually received that message. Not what he told them. And sometimes he told them something just for them. Sometimes he told something, thus saith the Lord, for a whole nation. doesn't matter what the message is. That's doctrine and theology. What we're going to look at is the experience they had when they received that message, when God trusted them with a small incremental part of what the totality of what he's trying to say to the nations. I mean, how did that affect them? How did that change their life? How did people respond? What was their experience like when they literally heard God speak to them? And if God ever spoke to you, and again, if I started with Karen and I asked her, when is the last time God spoke to her? you know, about something like the decision to move to the Virginia versus, um, versus stay in Charlotte, you know, uh, well, you know, he speaks to me every day through his word. I got that. I got me too. You know, he encourages me, shows me things I need to do, work on some sins in my life and, and all that kind of stuff, things I need to, to foster. Well, I, I got that. But how, when's the last time he spoke to you about something as specific as that? Something that just for you, that he wanted you to do or not do? And, and she would say, most likely, um, well, it, it was a while ago, and but I remember it like it was yesterday, and she would share this mountaintop experience. Some people I've talked to, actually it's probably the majority of people I've talked to, would say, God's never spoke to me like that. Never. Matter of fact, he hardly ever speaks to me through his word. Therefore, I don't read his word. Doesn't really speak to me much in prayer. Seems like my prayers are just one-sided, so therefore, I don't pray that much. And I pretty much just ask him to bless what I've decided to do because in my life of his silence, that's pretty much what 
I've had to come up with to survive. But when God does speak to you, it changes everything. It changes your view of life today. It changes your fear of the future. It changes everything when God speaks to his children. Now, I am not going to... um, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to give you, we're not going to look these verses up because I've got five or six examples here except just one. But I want to give you just a, an overview of what it was like for people whom God did choose to speak to. And remember, forget about the message. It's not about the message or the task or the job. It's about the experience that they had and how their life was changed once he did speak to them. Genesis chapter 3, we've got Adam and Eve. They're walking, God's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They're having conversations with God's created uh, beings. We have this serpent that just starts talking to Eve as the chapter begins and kind of throws shade on God himself. And Eve is not surprised. Eve's not, whoa, I can't believe this serpent is talking. It was just a day full of wonder. God would talk to them in the garden. God would give them instructions. And their their life seemed idyllic and their life seemed bliss, full of bliss. And they had this wonderful relationship with God until they sinned. And all of a sudden when they sinned, there was this wall that was put up between them. He cast them out of Eden. We didn't want them to, to be around the tree of life anymore, which if they ate, they would live in their sin forever. And from that point on, life became difficult. Life became hard. God, in the Old Testament time, didn't dwell with men like he does now. Instead, they had to actually go where God was. And you can notice that it was sin that drew this wedge between this intimacy Adam and Eve had and the struggle they had afterwards. Same thing applies to us. Sin in our life, disobedience, not caring about what God does, grieves the Holy Spirit, and we find that we hear his voice even less than that. Exodus chapter 3, we've got Moses. He's walking around. He sees this bush that's just burning. I think I'll go around and see what this is all about. And Moses is so naive, he has no idea where he is. And he walks up and sees this burning bush, and God says, Moses, take your shoes off. I am here. This is holy ground. And we find that Moses bowed down because he was afraid because he had seen God or a manifestation of God in this burning bush. And if you will look at that, Moses has this conversation with God that scares the bejeebers out of me. God tells him something and Moses says, yeah, well, what am I supposed to say when they ask who sent me and and what what signs am I supposed to do? And, And as God had this infinite patience with Moses to a point, you remember all that? Gave him a couple signs. Here's the staff. Pick it up, and it's a uh, snake. I'll do one. Take your hand, Moses, and stick it in the breast, in your breast, uh, up under your cloak, and pull it out, and it's full of leprosy. And then pull it back in, and now it's completely healed. Did Moses ever use that? Never. Moses, that was for you. For you. This is the God that I am, and I'm to be treated holy. Israel. God says, I am going to uh, come down, Moses, and I'm going to come down on this mountain, and I'm going to speak just to you. 
Because when I speak to you, they're going to hear, and when they hear, they're going to follow you because they've never heard God speak to anyone. And so when God comes down, there's thunder and lightning, and there's all this incredible stuff going on, and the people are quaking. They heard all this even in their tents, and they come up to see where God is. The first message God gives is tell the people to obey me and stay back because they're unholy and I am holy. We find that in Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 20, we have the Ten Commandments that God gives. And right after the Ten Commandments, the people say, we don't want to hear from God anymore. We don't want God to speak to us anymore. We want you to speak to us because if you'll speak to us, you, you talk to God and then talk to us because he's frightening and he's fearful. Love this one. Elijah has this showdown on Mount Carmel with the 450 prophets of Baal and Asherah. And all of a sudden, fire comes down from heaven and consumes Elijah's offering. And they murder and slaughter all the, the, uh, the demonic false prophets. He, he's full of such wonder that he runs in front of a, uh, runs all the way to, to Jezreel, like 20-something miles. And, and then we get to the latter part of that chapter, and he goes through depression. After God used him in an incredible way and spoke to him, he goes through depression. It says, an angel of the Lord spoke to him. What are you doing here, Elijah, in this cave? Hello, I'm the only one left, and things are really getting tough out there, and it looks like I'm going to lose my job, and I really don't know what's going to happen in the world right now, and they got the coronavirus out there that's scaring everybody to death, and, and I, don't really, I don't really know what to do, and, and it's just, I'm just so afraid. But did I not just sustain you? Yeah, but, but things are different now. Everybody else has abandoned. I'm the only one left. Do you remember that? God says, I'm about to speak to you, Elijah. I want you to come stand at the mouth of the cave that you've hidden yourself in. And all of a sudden, there was like a tornado out there and wind blowing, rocks cracking, and God, uh, God wasn't in the tornado. This Fire just swept through something that you would expect of God, like Mount Sinai experience, and God wasn't in the fire. And it says there was this still, small voice, like a whisper. And Elijah took his mantle and covered his face and was awed by the fact that God had spoken to him and just kind of slunk down in the cave. Oh, he wasn't in what I thought he would be in. Instead, it was just this still, small voice he chose to speak to me in. And I recognized who he is and who I am. And then when God gives him the message, the message is go back and do what I told you to do. You think you're the only one around? I got 7,000 people just in Jerusalem who haven't bowed their knee. You go back and anoint Elisha. And then there's my favorite. I would like you to look at this one. Isaiah chapter 6. God didn't speak to Isaiah. Isaiah just heard his voice. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw. I saw it with my eyes. I was able to get a glimpse of the Lord. I saw it. He didn't speak to me. I just saw it. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. 
and the train of his robe filled the temple. And let me tell you what I saw. And above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. And with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, this is what I heard. He's not speaking to me. I'm just relating to you this scene that I saw in heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. God hasn't spoken to Isaiah. God is just letting Isaiah see a glimpse of his marvelous glory. And Isaiah recognized who he was to even have the privilege of seeing this. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I haven't heard him, but I've seen him. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the thongs on the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Now all of a sudden... Isaiah begins to hear something. Also, I've already seen the king in verse number five, and I saw in verse number one the Lord sitting on a throne, but now I hear something. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Isaiah, this is what I want you to do. No, none of this is directed at Isaiah. Isaiah is just hearing a conversation. And he's hearing a conversation like between the Godhead. God is speaking, and he says, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? It's almost like God is speaking to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Who will I send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah heard God speak, and he heard a a question that was asked, I mean, who will go for us? Who can we trust with this task? And the task, of course, is to speak unpopular prophecy to his nation. And Isaiah was so enamored with the fact that there's a purpose and there's a task that he left everything behind to follow God. Then I said, here am I, send me. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And when he heard the voice of God, his priorities were totally changed. I want to go, God. This is more important than my house or my job or my business or money or my retirement or my kids or my grandkids or our nation or politics or the coronavirus or anything. God, this is great. I I will surrender my life to you. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be able to hear your voice. Here I am. Send me. And then God gave him specific instruction. Go and tell this people, and then you know the rest of the story. So what happens if God really speaks to you? Well, he has a long time ago, and it was really a marvelous experience, and I I just felt closer to him than I ever had before, and I had a purpose in my life, and, and it was great, but... I I, I was a 10 or a 12. I just kept growing in my faith with him. Does God speak to you now? No. Does, uh, are you doing anything different now? This is the sheet of paper I passed out two weeks ago. Then you were then? Well, yeah, um, 
back then I, I was really, I really wanted to live a holy life in front of him. And, and he spoke to me. Now I don't really care. I just want to do what everybody else is doing. You know, I'm kind of depressed about the world out there. And so therefore, since I'm depressed about the world, I'm going to, you know, do things that just make my flesh feel good, kind of as a cheap substitute for God. Um, you know, I'm, uh, I've prayed and prayed and prayed and, God hasn't answered the prayers I wanted the way I wanted him to. And so therefore, I've just taken matters in my own hands. I'm going to call my own shots and do my own thing and then fall into this Barna survey here. But what would happen if he did speak to you? doesn't matter what the message is. It's not about the message. That's doctrine and theology. It's about the experience. What would happen if God spoke to you? Well, God has spoken. Maybe he's spoken to you too. But he has spoken to someone here. Um, it's not about the message. But he spoke to them, and I, I talked with, uh, spoke with Greg, and I uh, talked with Greg last week about it, and I realized that God, this, is, this is exactly what I've been praying for. You know, it's one thing for us all to go to diet classes and get, help, get healthy kind of classes and go through all the motions because somebody a long time ago told us that it works, than it is to see somebody who actually went to the same classes we're going through and went from 390 pounds to 190 pounds in eight months and feels better than they ever had before, and you look at them and cannot deny there's been a change in their life. True? What we do in church a lot of times is talk about things that happened to other people way back when that we don't know, because everybody that we do know is just limping forward like we are, struggling with the same things that we are, and nothing happen, is happening to them that's, that's different than what we're going through. And so therefore we begin to believe that maybe it's just pipe dreams, maybe it's not really real, and we're just going to have to take our spiritual matters into our own hands and do what we think is best. And that's a recipe for failure. So I've asked Greg to come up and share this with you. And uh, Greg is in an awkward situation because he's going to share what happened to him, but he doesn't want this to be about him. He wants this to be about the Lord. It's not really about the message. It's about the experience that he had. And Greg, if you could just kind of tell them what you told me last week um, or whatever the Lord lays on your heart. I appreciate it. 